Okay, please open to your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. I'll be reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Father. I mean, in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide. In Him. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, eternal, and infallible Word. Let's pray. Father, may we be those who remain in You and in Your Word. And let Your Word remain and abide in us. And to that end, I ask that you strengthen my body and my mind. I ask that you strengthen me to speak and unfold this passage. And that you, by your anointing, that is within all who believe, Cause us to see all the more clearly. To know the truth that is not a lie. And thus to know our security and the promise of eternal life. Do this in our midst, I pray. Amen. A spirit of personality removed from clear, explicit truth of the Scripture is in the air today. And I don't 
mean merely the culture at large. I mean within much of the church culture of evangelicalism. More and more there are individual churches and denominations taking votes in order to start ordaining for pastoral ministry practicing homosexuals. People attending quote-unquote, you know, happening churches with nice sermons and fantastic musicians and music for ten years suddenly turn to Mormonism. People actually listen week after week to Joel Osteen. Call themselves Christian. Just eat it up. There are professing Christians who call nice people, fellow religion people, like religious Jews or religious Muslims. They worship the same God as us. They would be ashamed to quote verse 22 of our text. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Notice the beginning of our text in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Many, by A.D. 90, many Antichrists have come. He means religious leaders, teachers, people in ministry. I think if we extrapolate it for the last 2,000 years of church history, He means people that come with different styles and crowd-gathering techniques and unchristian doctrine or lack of doctrine. Our passage tells us that there are two things, just two core things that are the reasons that so many people are easily deceived. First, is because the Word of God does not abide in them. And the second thing is that the life of the Holy Spirit is not in them. The point of this text is that when people have no biblical grounding or theological depth, no personal experience with God the Holy Spirit, then they are wide open to all kinds of deceptions. Our passage this morning is crucial for our day. The day in which our culture, unlike 50 years ago, is radically turning away from biblical morality. Not even just talking about theology. 
We're just talking about basic, standard, Western civilization. And that culture is slowly, like it always does, always has and always will, seep into the church. And the only defense is to know and love the Word of God and to be being filled with the anointing or the Holy Spirit of God. To say it more clearly, what John's getting at at this text is to know the Word of God and through that knowledge experience God, the Holy Spirit. That is the protection against false, twisted, sounds almost the same, uses the same terminology. And they call it Gospel, or they call it Christianity. And John calls it the Antichrist and his influence. So let's go to our text. Let's notice the context in which we as Christians, like they did in the first century when John wrote it, or today, the context in which we live. Verse 18, he says, children, that's his affectionate term. For the believers, most likely in Asia Minor that he's writing to these churches. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. How do we know? Because if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out so that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So John starts off saying, it's the last hour. He means the same thing as it's the last days. And what he means by this, and what the New Testament means by this, is that since the arrival and the first coming of Jesus inaugurating the presence of the kingdom, the last days have been ushered in. He dies, He is raised, He ascends, He pours out the Spirit. And with the Spirit goes the Gospel. And we have been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. We are in them. Because the Gospel has come. And the Holy Spirit has come in His outpouring. This is how the New Testament talks. First Peter chapter 1.20 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Peter on the day of Pentecost stands up, remember in chapter 2 of Acts, and preaches... And he says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Quote, and in the last days, declares God, I will pour out My Spirit. The last days began in the preaching of the Gospel with the outpouring of the Spirit. So Paul can write in 1 Corinthians 10.11, 
Now these things happened to them in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And so, this last hours, it refers to Jesus has done His work. He's given the Great Commission. Go preach the crucifixion and the resurrection and eternal judgment and eternal salvation. And I go with you with the outpouring of the Spirit. That is the last days. Oh, and John in our text says there's another characteristic that we are in the last days that goes along with it. It's right there in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Now watch his logic. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. It's clear. Jesus, what's the sign of the last days? Well, we know the outpoint of Spirit, we know the Gospel, and that He has come and ushered in the Kingdom. Oh, here's the other sign. There will be all kinds of religious false teachers. Antichrist. It's part and parcel with what He's given us. Expect it, John is saying. And they rise up within the quote, end quote, church. Remember Paul. He gives a speech out there by the ocean. I'll never see your face again. He gathers all the teachers and the leaders and elders and pastors. And he says to them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you Christian leaders, not sparing the flock. And then he really gets to them. And in tears, he says, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things in order to draw crowds people after themselves. And so in this epistle of 1 John, John warns us, as we have been seeing, there is within every one of us believers, internal, inside of us, dangers. A heart that, that can be so allured to sin, into worldliness, into darkness. Like, like he's warned, our, our, there's a danger within us. Our problem of not obeying God's commandments, chapter 2, of walking in darkness and not in the light, of not loving our brothers and sisters in the local church, of not loving the Father. So that's where he's been. And now, with this text, John turns the page and he says, there is also... Not just internally within you, but there is also danger that lay outside of us. And it arises within the Christian communities. Look down at verse 26 for a moment. I write these things to you 
about those who are trying to deceive you. To deceive you. Away from the truth. From the real truth. To lead you astray. And John calls those teachers anti-Christ. Notice in the text there, in verse 18, first he uses the singular. You've heard that the anti-Christ is coming. John believes. John is teaching. There is a single anti-Christ that is to come. 2 Thessalonians 2, he's called the man of lawlessness. He's acknowledging that there with the singular. Then he uses the plural. Many antichrists have come. In other words, he said, the spirit, the spirit of the hating against Christ have already infiltrated the church world. They're here. And it produces antichrist within other human beings and their teaching. It comes in all different kinds of forms. And at the core, at least from 1 John, because of the, what he's dealing with specifically, at the core of the spirit of the antichrist is a denial that Jesus was the Christ, but not just that, but that, that Christ, it's denying that He is the divine God who actually became human with real flesh, physicality. He calls that spirit the spirit of the Antichrist. But ultimately, I think we're safe to conclude from that that whatever diminishes blurs the true gospel. Whatever substitutes other views that lead away from the truth of Jesus and salvation in Him is at the core of the spirit of Antichrist. You just listen to John for a moment. In chapter 4, verse 3, he says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world. You know, John wrote a couple other letters, really short ones, right? In 2 John verse 7, he, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Or in verse 22 of our text. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So John starts off our passage with children. It is the last hour. 
And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And so, the bottom line here is that John is concerned that the church be alert to deception. To to teaching that is not in line with what the apostles delivered. Biblical, in other words. And now, in verse 20, he gets to the but. So he's setting that up. Be alert. They're everywhere. Listen closely. He'll go on to say stuff like this. Test the spirits. In verse 20, But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. See it? He's saying the Word of God and the Spirit of God protect us from deception. And thus, we gain what He says there in verse 25. Eternal life. That's the promise He's given to us who are anointed and have the truth. Eternal life. But notice the way John puts this. To know truth, for John, the way he means it, is directly connected to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Three verses 20 and 21 slowly. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Knowing and grasping truth depends on the anointing. Verse 20, you've been anointed. That's what? You all, that he's talking to, you all have knowledge. Jump down to verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you thus have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it is taught you. You abide in Him. So at this point, whatever that term there, anointing for John means, whatever that means, it's clear in this passage that it enables, that anointing enables people to know the truth. And to know it in such a way that there is a sense in which removes the need for teachers. That's what he says. See that? Okay, now the term anointing comes from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where priest and 
kings, prophets would be anointed or set apart for their work that God wants them to do. They would be anointed. They would be oil just poured all over them, smeared all over them. That is to anoint their with oil. That's where he's getting the term. Now, in the context, he has to mean here. You all have the anointing. And it, it dwells in you. It's from the Holy One. He has to mean the Holy Spirit who's been poured out and He's come and now in Christians He's living in them. He's just been drenched over those who belong to Jesus. So John seems to be saying here in verse 20, you've been anointed, you all have knowledge. In verse 27, the anointing you received abides in you. You don't need anybody to teach you unless you know the truth. He seems to be saying that without the Holy Spirit, we would not know the truth. Knowing the truth about Christ and the Gospel is a gift. It comes from the anointing. Now what does that mean? Huh. I mean, how does the Holy Spirit teach us the truth about Christ and thus, in the context, protect us from false doctrines? Protect us from deceptions of the Antichrist that he says they're everywhere. How's that work? In the context, remember, these teachers, they're claiming special spiritual knowledge. This is what you call this incipient beginning stages of what became a century and a half later full-blown Gnosticism coming from the word Gnosis. To know. We're like, we, we have that special insight. Come hear it from us. We'll give it to you. And they're adding, let me tell you about who Jesus really is. There's no way th the Christ actually became flesh. So they're giving their new spiritual revelations that Jesus did. Now, he's not a real man, real physical and mortal. No way. Because they had a worldview that was very platonic. And, okay. That's the context that's happening. And then John warns them in chapter 4, verse 1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit. By that, he doesn't mean like on Halloween you got ghosts running around. He means human men who are teaching. That's what he means here. There's a spirit behind him. He calls it the spirit of the Antichrist versus the spirit of God. He says, do not believe every teacher, every spirit, but test the spirits. To see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, and at that point, these teachers read, if they're hanging around church there when this letter comes, they say, that's right, that's what we're doing. We have the Spirit of God. We're revealing mysteries of God to you. We're going deeper about who Jesus the Christ is and how He cannot be 
really human and mortal and ooh, that's so evil in and of itself. He can't be that. That's what we're doing. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. For some of us who've been Christians long enough and we've been around different kinds of churches long enough, we know that kind of idea did not die in the first century. It was clearly there by the end of the first century because this letter is written somewhere close to A.D. 90. But down through the centuries, we can name men like Joseph Smith. Got a new revelation. Translated it. Comes out as the Book of Mormon. E.W. Kenyon wrote lots of stuff that Birth this word of faith doctrine within America. Jehovah Witnesses, Watchtower, many faith healers, church growth gurus, seeker sensitive preachers. It's not new. I remember a couple of years ago, my wife and I were back in Texas, and an uncle. Oh, you've got to go way up to Northern California. Did you go to Redding yet? Because that's where really God's moving, man. You go up there, you really hear from God. This idea is virtually what every cult does. It claims special revelation. Beyond the original revelation delivered through Peter and John and Matthew, Paul, the apostles. Or it claims to have specially anointed leaders who give hidden interpretations of the Bible. Just turn on... Religious broadcasting on television. I remember as a young Christian, I used to sit in meetings with these guys and I literally would look at my Bible and I'm thinking, man, that guy's got a powerful anointing. And how he ever came up with all that stuff he said out of that text, I'll never know. I must not be called because I couldn't get that out of the text. And I really was discouraged. I thought, wow. Oh, so what does John mean here then? You have the anointing in you. No one needs to teach you. Because of the anointing, you, you know. You have knowledge. You know the truth. What is he getting at? In other words, how does the anointing of the Holy Spirit that all believers have enable them to know the truth and thus protects them from deception? John answers that question. In verse 24. Look at it. His simple answer is that he does it through what the apostles have taught. That's how he does it. Let and this is all in the same context of this anointing, and not any teachers, and deceivers, and antichrists. Let what 
you heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. When the Gospel came to you, when the apostles brought it and they brought the apostolic doctrines from the beginning of your Christianity, don't move on! Let that remain in you. His point is not that the anointing of the Holy Spirit therefore gives you any additional new information about the Gospel or about God's ways or about what God's doing today or about the Christian life or about how to live it better. He gives you nothing new. Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. John's whole point about the anointing is you have been given from the get-go enough revelation. The Gospel that came to you, that was preached to you, that taught you the ways of salvation by the apostles from the beginning, let it remain. And you know Paul fully agrees. So much so that he said, let me be damned if I come back to you Galatian churches and preach to you something different than I delivered to you at the beginning. So, the Holy Spirit and the way He works is not this. It's not guiding His people to some mystical search for otherworldly new insights as they meditate under a tree somewhere or something. It's not it. It's not what He's talking about. The church in AD 90 when He writes this, or the church today, doesn't need a fresh word from God. It needs to let the original apostles' teaching about Christ, about salvation, about who God is, about redemptive history, about the Christian life, about sanctification. You can go on and on. It's laid out there in your New Testament. To let that stay in you. Live in you. Abide in you. Which means this. Our text this morning, what John is saying, not only is it true for those Christians in AD 90 or in 325 at the Council of Nicaea or when Martin Luther nails his 95 thesis to Wittenberg's door, I think in 1519 or 1517. It's not just true that it's true today that if in the hearing of the exposition of the apostles' words, which means 
the Holy Spirit's words inspired through the apostles. If then or now, in the hearing of the exposition of the apostles' words, a person is bored, looking for something more, more spiritual, more feeling that's outside of that word, then that person is already in the depths of deception. And they're clueless about it. Flip over for a moment. Listen to what John warns about in 2 John, verse 9. Oh, he warns about new teaching. Everyone who goes on ahead. (laughs) Got to get what he's going to say. Everyone who says, no, 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 we need new. We're going out in front. Avant-garde. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. See, the Holy Spirit agrees with the Apostles' doctrine always because He inspired it. He agrees with what is written in the Scripture or what is being said is not the Holy Spirit. That's why it is appropriate to say that Mormonism is not a Christian sect that we disagree with. It is radically un-Christian. Same thing with Jehovah Witnesses. Because of what the New Testament says. Not abiding in the clear teaching that the apostles gave in the first century from the beginning. The Holy Spirit, ever since the first century, when the last apostle died and went to be with Jesus, He has not been giving any additional knowledge and revelation about salvation, about doctrine, since. He gave it through the apostles. That's why John says in verse 2 of chapter 4, By this you know the Spirit of God. How do I know if it's the Spirit of God? I mean, that overwhelming personalities in this world. Well, this is how you know. Every spirit that has their doctrine straight according to the Scripture. That's what he means here. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, what this means for us in 2014 is that the Holy Spirit does not give us new revelations about Christ, about the Gospel, about the Christian life. The Holy Spirit adds nothing to the apostles' teaching.
He doesn't whisper into your ear when your, your worship is sweet and give you some secret meaning of the Bible that's not clearly there on the pages with a good reading of it. What's He do? Without Him, you'll never be saved. Without Him, you'll never know as you need to know in order to be saved. The Holy Spirit is crucial in the life of every believer and crucial in the life of the church. How? His work is to constantly open our hearts in order that we will welcome the teaching of the apostles. That we'll welcome clear, honest, contextual readings of Holy Scripture. I see it. I can read it. I can think. I know English. That's what it says. What we need is God cause my heart to see it the way it needs to see it and to receive it and to embrace it and to be changed by it. That is the anointing. When that happens to you, oh, you don't need people to come teach you. How can I get what you just got? It's the same we do. You're in the same service. You heard the same sermon. We just read the same text. I can't teach it to you anymore. He can. That's what He means. When you got that, you got saved. And you're being worked on that way. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us individual sinners who are doomed into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He puts us in to Christ. A favorite word in the New Testament. You're in Christ. And that being in Christ through the truth of the apostles' preaching is what creates an experiential knowledge. Not new information. Old information from the beginning. And now, you see it. Grasp it. Find yourself having been changed, moved by it. The Holy Spirit's work is to smash our hearts in order to change us by the Apostles' teaching delivered through the four Gospels and Paul's 13 epistles and the general epistles and the book of Revelation and all the Hebrew Old Testament. That's what He does. He doesn't change the teaching. I want you to turn one more text to 1 Corinthians for a minute. This is, this is exactly how, of course, because they always agree, the Apostle Paul agrees with John, the son of Zebedee. Paul talking about his missionary journeys, bringing the Gospel to unheard, people who have never heard of it before. He writes in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 22. This is what happens. <coughs> we preach it. In Jews, in all these towns, they demand 
signs. Greeks, they seek wisdom. And we, we know this because we put out surveys to find out what the Greeks want and what the Jews want. And so when we have Jewish services to give them Jesus, we construct it away according to the they would want. Because we want to win them. We want them to hang with us. We want the church to grow. And we leave the synagogue and we go out to the masses of the Gentiles. Oh, wisdom. And these Greeks love wisdom. We're going to make sure we're going to give them a lot of Plato and Aristotle. Speaking their kind of lingo. We want them to like us. Not quite what he said. He says, I know what they're seeking. The Jews seek signs. The Greeks, they seek wisdom. And Paul says, I can't do anything about it because my hands are tied. I didn't choose to be an apostle and a missionary and a preacher. Jesus conscripted me and He sent me. And woe is me if I don't preach the Gospel. So I'm stuck and I go and they don't want what I have, but I preach anyway. Christ slaughtered by the Roman government in public Capital execution. Naked. That's what we preach. And we say, you've got to repent or you will perish because that man God raised from the dead and on a day He's coming back, He will judge every single human being by Him. Come now, flee to Him in sackcloth and ashes. Fall on your face because He offers you pardon freely. He says, that's what we do. And we get zero response. Because they don't want that. What he says, listen to it. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And what is it? It's a stumbling block to Jews. They fall flat on their face. They actually constantly just get mad at Paul and keep chasing him out of cities and persecuting is what they do. And for the Gentiles, they just say, What an idiot. How foolish. And nobody gets saved. But Paul still feels his hands are tied. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And so, oh, he, he knows one other thing. It's not my job to save him, it's not my job. 
Oh boy, he's human. Boy, did he get discouraged. And he's about, I just got to, I'm going to leave. I just got to go. No, there's just nothing happening here. I forget what town he was in over there in Asia Minor. It, but, but then Jesus appears to him, like he doesn't do to us, okay? But he appears to him and says, Paul, just hang out. Don't, don't leave the city. Just keep preaching. I've got some people here. Trust me, they're going to come. Be, because this is what Paul knows. But to those who are called, from both Jews and Greeks, something happens to the called. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let me just read that in John's language. Oh, but to those who are called, oh, I'm sorry, to those who are anointed of the Holy Spirit to come dwell in them in the hearing of the gospel. Something happens. Christ is no longer foolish to them. And to those Jews who are called, they don't stumble anymore. They rejoice in Christ their Savior because the anointing taught them that what the Apostle said is your salvation. Once the Holy Spirit teaches those people or any of us that way, with the call, with the anointing, inwardly, they teach us inwardly what the Bible teaches. See, it's on the pages. And then He says, yes, it's true to you. The anointing. Then you are forever changed. You have it. As John says, you know the truth. I don't write to you believers because you don't know the truth. I write because you do know it. And no lie is of the truth. And so John's main point, therefore, in all of that is to say to these faithful believers, don't be afraid. Go ahead. Blow these guys off. Don't be intimidated at their language. Don't be intimidated at their religiosity. Don't be intimidated by any of their teachings. You know the truth, believer. Blow them off. The Holy Spirit is in you. You therefore know the truth that what the New Testament teaches without needing help to make it sound better. You know it to be true. No matter what century you live in, no matter what religious context, when they don't line up, blow them off. Now I know this is a very long text, so as I'm closing here, I just want to point that in this long text, Paul only gives two commands. Verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. It's alright here. Let it remain in you, dear believer. And then in verse 27, 
But the anointing that you receive from Him, it does abide in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, now here comes the command, you abide in Him. And so, sovereign grace, let us be a people who daily before our Bibles, before preaching, Cry out with the psalmist of Psalm 119, verse 18. I see what it says. I can read this. It's a simple sentence here. Okay, Father, open my eyes so that I will behold how wonderful that is to me. Father, help me read. Help me listen to teaching. And above all, open the eyes of my heart. Turn my sinful heart this day. Turn my desires this day to see, to be moved, to be changed, to love You and not the world. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank You for this glorious, wonderful truth. The truth that is not merely words, but the truth of what You did in Your coming, in Your life, in Your death, and Your resurrection. Oh, when we hear those words You said to Your apostles, it's better that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come in the outpouring in which He will come. And you have ascended. And you've sent Him. And many of us in here, we can pinpoint a day or a week or a month or a time in our life when we know, looking back, oh, that's when you saved me. That's when you opened my eyes. That's when what I had in my head, I found to finally hit my heart and change me by the anointing. And so, Father, with these commands You've given to us in this text, Sovereign Grace, abide in Him and let His Word abide in You. We ask, Father, as desperate, needy children, help us. Help us daily. Have soft hearts. Don't leave us to our own ingenuity. But by Your Spirit, constantly, and we know it will always be lovingly. Break us. Change us. Cause us to be more excited about preaching, about Bible reading, about prayer meeting, about Christian fellowship, than we are when our favorite team scores a touchdown. More excited than a six-year-old at a carnival. 
Oh, do it, Father. And use us. Work through us. Let the light of your anointing shine, bounce off of our lives in this local church in order to be the salvation of others, the sanctification of others, to the glory of Jesus.